Welcome to the How to Find Your Purpose course from Plato University. If you're wandering around aimlessly in life trying to figure out what it all means, then this course is for you. Combining psychology and ancient wisdom with modern science and systems thinking, you'll learn to develop passions into purpose, find out who you really are, how to make an impact in this world, and finally feel a sense of fulfillment in your life. If you're ready to live a purposeful life and want to learn the skills to do so, join us at Plato.University for exclusive content and actionable exercises with every lesson. I'm your learning guide, Brandon Stover, and let's get started. During the last lesson, you became intimately knowledgeable about a particular problem that is fitted to you and areas that solutions may exist, which has brought you to the second moment of revelation. I can contribute something myself and make a difference. You observed complex systems from the outside, but the reality is, is you are an integral part of those systems, which means that you can make a difference with inside that system. Look, our entire world is so interconnected now, gone are the days of being part of a single community. You are now a global citizen. The original word for citizen comes from the word civitas, meaning city, and represents a conception of citizenship from the past, where individuals identified more as members of a city than a country or territory. Things in the past had a worldview that were smaller in scale, zoomed in more tightly on one physical location. But this is quite the contrast to the globalized, highly interconnected and networked nature of the world today. Understanding that the impacts of world's gravest problems are experienced across places, and being a global citizen means you interrogate and draw connections between the structures, systems, and perspectives that underpin issues, including at different scales and different locations. And it also means that you're going to have to engage in purposeful, informed actions with others, and not those just around you, but around the globe. Because truly, if we're going to tackle any of these challenges that you uncovered in the last lesson, it's going to take some brilliant minds from all over the planet. But I want to make a few quick warnings about being a global citizen and in the ways those actions might be harmful. This doesn't mean that you're only helping those far away while being unaware of the effects of one's actions locally. What you're going to do is think about those both locally and globally as you start to begin to create solutions. It also means that when you're looking at these different locations and different peoples and different cultures, you don't perpetuate stereotypes and oversimplify complex issues. You seek out diverse perspectives and think in systems to understand an issue before taking action. And you also understand that in by doing that, you're not applying one-size-fits-all solutions to these problems that you have uncovered. You need a deep intercultural understanding to develop and test solutions in partnership with the people who are most affected by and knowledgeable about an issue. Now, in this moment of revelation that we're having as global citizens, we come across the question, of what do we actually mean by making a difference and solving any of these challenges? Of course, this could be a deep philosophical question for yourself, but there's something that we can look at more objectively from our friends at 80,000 Hours that have defined it by social impact. And that's the number of people whose lives you improve and how much you improve them. So this means that there's two ways that you can have more social impact and make a difference in the world. You can help more people or you can help the same number of people to a greater extent. Now, there's a few things to keep in mind when we have this definition. Social impact doesn't necessarily mean saving lives. It could be making improvements to a quality of life, which can be just as significant. This might involve making people happier, helping them reach their potential, or making their lives more meaningful. 
something I am trying to do here in this course. The second thing is, is we're not always going to get exact objective measurements. We are usually uncertain about the social impact different actions will have, but you can use probabilities to make a comparison. For instance, a 90% chance of helping 100 people is roughly equivalent to a 100% chance of helping 90 people. The next thing we want to consider is that your social impact includes all of the people your actions are going to help, both immediately and over the coming decades and beyond. As a result, sometimes it's better to seek indirect impact. For example, if you improve the quality of government decision making, that could have a huge social impact in the long run, even if it doesn't help people immediately. Now, the next question that you may have is why should you step up to the plate to change these systems? Why take on this global perspective and take on any of these large challenges? Well, I think you might be able to answer this for yourself from the lesson that we did in taking responsibility. But just as a reminder, when you take on these challenges, it's giving you deep access to meaning and fulfillment and by taking that responsibility. But at this point in the course and probably in your life, you've already seen the suffering and the atrocities happening. And what you've seen cannot be unseen. It's going to be there in the back of your mind. And because you know you have certain skills and capabilities, there's going to be something that irks you, that keeps pulling you back to looking at that problem. Because maybe even in some small way, you might be able to provide a solution. And even during this process within this course, especially the process of discovering yourself, we've identified your unique profile as a person. And you may possibly be one of the best people to solve this problem, even if you can't see it now. Hindsight's always 2020. Many years down the road, when you're getting closer and closer to solving this problem, you can look back and you can tell yourself, yes, I actually was the person that was the best to tackle this problem. And at this point, you may be saying, okay, that's great, Brandon, but how do we actually go about doing it? Well, we're going to continue our process of solutionary thinking and begin devising solutions and planning for implementation. The only way anything gets changed in this world is by developing a plan and taking action on that. So our first step when addressing one of these problems is to devise a solution that addresses the causes of the problem and which does the most good and the least harm to all the people, animals, environment, and the rest of the system that you're trying to help. And when you're developing this solution, you want to look for leverage points, places that you can intervene within the system. These leverage points often show up within those complex systems that you examined and the deeper levels of those systems' mental models, beliefs, and values. For example, if one of the deepest causes for the rise in type 2 diabetes stems from our desire for high-calorie food, then if someone came up with a solution to the problem of human cravings for such foods, we might be able not only to solve the problem of rising rates of type 2 diabetes, but a host of other health problems. However, because humans evolved to crave high-calorie foods, we may not be successful if we try to leverage this particular deep causal level of our problem when we devise a solution. In other words, as we look for leverage points for creating change, the ones that might theoretically have the biggest impact are not necessarily the ones that we can or should target. Now, this doesn't mean we should never dive below the systems level to create change, but rather that we should evaluate the likelihood of success based on several factors. The potential impact of that leverage point, the feasibility of a successful solution at that leverage point, the impact of the forces that may propel the solution forward, and the impact of the forces that may hold the solution back. So your job is going to be identifying leverage points where you think a strategic action would be most effective in creating changes that will help you solve the problem you identified. Once you've identified your best leverage points, 
write down as many possible solutions as you can think of. And finally, evaluate those solutions. Does my solution do the most good and least harm to people, animals, and the environment? If not, who is harmed and in what ways? This brings us to step two, which is determining which solutions are going to do the most good and most feasible for implementation. There are many factors to consider when it comes to implementation, and the best ideas may not be the ones that you are able to implement because of time, resources, and expertise. However, it is helpful to identify multiple solutions, even if you're unable to implement them yourself. I'm going to provide a scale for you that's going to help you assess your solutions, and it moves from emerging, developing, solutionary, and most solutionary. And this is the solutionary scale developed by the Institute for Humane Education. At the bottom of the scale, we have emerging. This means the solution that you've identified, while well-intentioned, does not yet address root and or systematic causes. And unfortunately, it may produce unintended negative consequences to the people that you're trying to serve. The ideas that we're looking for are the most solutionary. The solution is significantly and strategically addressing the root and or system causes and does not cause harm to the people that we're trying to serve. Once you have your handful of best ideas, you can begin questioning it as much as possible to make sure it's the best one. So in assessing an idea, think about who or what benefits from this solution. Who or what could be harmed from this solution? What are possible unintended negative consequences on people, animals, or the environment? Where does the solution fall on the solutionary scale? Is this solution feasible for me to implement? What time and resources are necessary to implement this solution? And finally, do I want to pursue this solution? Is it a good use of my talents and interests? And maybe in that last question, you say no, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't continue to assess some of the other solutions that you have. In a later lesson, we're going to talk about choosing different strategies. And as you go down certain strategies, you realize that you need to choose a new one. So it's good to have this list in your back pocket in case you want to choose one of those. The other thing is, is you can actually share your best solutions with others because maybe they're the perfect person to take that solution and implement it. And in the long run, the more people we have working on this, trying out different solutions, the more likely we are to actually solve these problems. So what we can see here is you want to choose the one that makes the most sense for you, where you are now and what you're capable of or what you could become. Because as we'll discuss in later lessons, you can learn skills and become a new person who's actually able to implement these solutions. So maybe you come up with one today that you're not yet capable of implementing, but maybe with a little time of studying some different skills, gaining some resources, and building a community around you, you're going to be well-equipped to implement that solution. After you've assessed all of these different solutions and you start choosing ones that you think are going to do the best, then you need to create a plan to implement your solution. Here, I'll provide another resource for you to begin outlining what a plan for a solution may look like. But in this outline, you're going to think about the long-term goal. And in this long-term goal, you're going to have measurable objectives and baseline status and evidence of your success. So that measurable objective is going to be a vision about what your community, your nation, or your world might look like when you've reached this long-term goal. How will the people, animals, the environment, the system that you're serving benefit from your solution? What would success look like? Then, when writing your baseline status and evidence of success, you're going to think about the following things. What does the aspect of the problem you're addressing look like now, before you begin implementing your solution? Be specific about how you plan to measure your success. What will the indicators be, and how will those indicators be represented in the progress? 
For example, if you choose a long-term goal, such as reversing global warming, you might have a plan to draft and pass legislation in your town or city to reduce energy consumption by a certain percentage. In this case, you will be measuring the change in energy consumption in your town, not the overall reduction of CO2 in the atmosphere. Once you have those two elements of your long-term goal figured out, then you're going to want to map out the rest of your plan. This is going to include action steps that will help you actually reach that long-term goal. The individuals involved, including the stakeholders that we identified before, the resources that we're going to need to implement that action step, some sort of a timeline, a date by which the action should be completed, potential difficulties that we might come across as we implement that action step, and finally, what success looks like and how we will evaluate it for that action step. So here we're just trying to take that long-term goal that we have and break it down into small action steps. Now this may seem very overwhelming and you're probably thinking, how am I going to do any of these action steps? But right now I'm just giving you a preview of how you can begin creating a plan to solve any of these problems. In the section following this one, when we talk about turning purpose into practice, we're going to cover things like setting goals and choosing strategies that align with our life and the purpose that we're moving towards. And in these lessons, you're going to learn how to intimately map out your life, just like we're doing here with these action steps within this plan. But for today, I just want you to go through the exercise of taking one of the problems that you've identified in the last lesson, one that you intimately care about, and start devising solutions to that problem that really address the root or systematic causes that avoid unintended negative consequences and do the most good and least harm for people's animal and the environment. Then, go through the process of determining which solutions are going to be the best and most feasible for implementation. And finally, just do a quick draft, a back-of-the-napkin sketch of what a plan to implement the solution might be. This is just a first draft. It doesn't have to be perfect, and it's not going to be perfect. We're going to keep coming back to this plan and updating it based on our choices in our life, goals that we have, and the feedback that we gain from implementing the strategy. So just as any good writer knows, give yourself the permission to have a shitty first draft. Thank you for taking the How to Find Your Purpose course to get everything you need to develop your purpose, including advanced resources, personal coaching, and a community of passionate learners. Then visit plato.university slash courses slash purpose and join us for free. Again, that's plato.university slash courses slash purpose. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at plato.university.